Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through the Star Trek original series one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome from the city that never sleeps, it's Emily Lind. Hi. Uh, how was that for an intro? Was that game show enough? <laughs> I think it's I think it's perfectly fine. <laughs> awesome. This week we're going to review the pilot episode, uh, which if you've got Netflix, The Cage is the first episode on the original series, and I assume that's the case with most of the DVD box sets. We know that The Cage was made in 1964, and they finished making it in 1965. And something I didn't realise until very recently is we have Lucille Ball in part to thank for Star Trek. Did you watch I Love Lucy as a kid? Um, I, I saw reruns here and there on like Nick at Night, which was a US listeners one that was sort of the Nickelodeon at night would show old sitcoms like I Love Lucy and I think Gidlin's Island and maybe like Adam's Family and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I Love Lucy was, I think it was massive, massive hit everywhere. Um, and it used to be on, I don't know, after school or something like that when I was growing up in the 80s. So Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz set up Desilu Productions to make their show I Love Lucy. Later on, they started making other shows. And I think in the early 60s, Lucy and Desi broke up. And Lucy bought out Desi's shares in the company. And it was struggling a bit, I think, as a production studio. But by the time we reached 1964 and Gene Roddenberry knocks on the door with his Star Trek script, Desilu Productions was the largest independent production company at the time, which I guess makes Lucille Ball the most powerful woman in TV at the time. Yeah, for sure. So apparently there's a room of executives sitting around. No one's too keen on Star Trek and Lucille Ball says, hey, let's give it a shot. So we have Lucy uh, to thank for Star Trek and everything that happened after that. Yeah, it's 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 sort of a it's a neat little bit of trivia. Um, according to lore, anyway, she's the one who convinced NBC to, to order a, a second pilot after this one. Oh, wow. Was not liked very much. I understand that uh, NBC executives rejected this pilot, The Cage, because they thought it was too cerebral and not enough action. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see when we get to the second pilot, which I think actually ended up being episode three. Uh, when we get to that down the track, we'll have to judge them based on NBC execs' criteria and make sure there's heaps of action in it. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting thing that they made this second pilot, but they didn't use the second pilot as a pilot. So suddenly, suddenly two episodes, three, no, three episodes into the series, you have this pilot episode. And then later you have the menagerie, which is the cage cut up with a framing device used as, an, as a two-part episode, I think. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a few weeks' time. Yeah, but for now we have we have the cage, and it's 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 so interesting to see how much is different because there's there's a lot. Yeah, that's huge. So there's a basic intro. They've got basically the same theme. They've haven't spent quite so much money on the visuals as you wouldn't for a pilot but it's just a slightly different arrangement of the theme we know and love. And, yeah, now I know about Desilu Productions, I imagine when I hear the 
original series theme and hear like the percussion and the congas i like to imagine desi arnez playing the bongos <laughs> even though i know he was he was well out of the picture before then yeah we do get the song there's no there's no like opening narration it's just the song so the the narration is something that was added later when it was actually a series i guess and the the visuals of the ship, you know, it looks like somebody's cheated by just having a you know still model and just grabbing a shoulder cam or something or whatever they had at the time and waving the camera past it quickly. So we come to the bridge and uh, we meet Captain Christopher Pike, who's a character that will come across in Star Trek movies, etc. And also later on when this pilot's reframed in a couple of episodes' time. What do you think about Captain Pike? I mean, straight off the bat, he's he's definitely an asshole. <laughs> um, but in a very in a very different in a very different way than Kirk. Like Kirk has the whole like swashbuckling womanizing thing. And and Hunter is I mean, well, Christopher Pike is is really I guess he's really damaged. Because we, we come to find out that there's this last mission that they went on where a couple of his crewmen died. So now he's just like, he's really like depressed, I guess. And just sort of being an asshole to everybody and thinking about quitting. Yeah. It's fascinating. Very different dynamic. It's definitely much more serious. Um, and I was just looking, I was looking up um, Jeffrey Hunter who, who plays Pike in this episode. Apparently, apparently he died just a few years later. Oh wow! In six, he died in nineteen sixty nine. Um, I mean, so he would have been yikes, quite young still. Yeah, he died at forty two. Wow! So potentially, if if the series was picked up and Hunter wanted to do the show, he still potentially could have done two or three seasons of the show. Yeah, and it is. It is. It's interesting to like think about what. Star Trek would have been like with a much more much more serious captain at the helm. Yeah, yep. He's a handsome man. Oh, he's really, really good looking. Let's uh, let's objectify the two captains. Uh, who do you prefer between oh, Pike dude. and between Hunter and Shatner? Between Pike and Kirk? Oh, definitely Pike. I've I've never found Kirk attractive. Oh really? Oh, not at all. My, I, I was, I was watching, I was watching some of the episodes on Netflix the other day, and my wife wandered past and saw Shatner, and she said, mm, "He was an attractive man." Yeah. So there you go. We'll, we'll have to have to extend the survey. <laughs> uh, but he's definitely, he's in. I'm going to say he's in better shape than what Shatner was. I can't talk. I'm in terrible shape, but Shatner always looks to me like he's slightly holding his gut in. Oh, yeah. Like, even back then. There's a few scenes where Shatner has his shirt off. Um, and he, like, he's a pretty strong guy. He's obviously going to the gym. But uh, probably wouldn't cut it in today's Hollywood. No, I mean, it's definitely... Back then, we weren't going for the, like, super ripped six-pack look. Yeah, that didn't exist. Uh, I, I know 
hearing about the actors getting ready for Mad Men, the creator basically said, yeah, no, I don't want any veiny gym muscles from anyone when he's uh, getting people ready to be 90, 1960s men. Yeah, that and that's that's it's just it's yeah, it'd be really weird to see like Don Draper with super like two thousands in shape. And spray tan. Gym rat muscles. <laughs> and blinding white teeth. <laughs> so um the only crew member I recognized was Spock. Is that right? Well, there's number one is played by later Roddenberry wife, Michelle Barrett, who oh, is wow. a different character in the show. She is on um, a recurring character as Nurse Chapel. Oh, wow. And then, of course, and then, of course, later will be on Next Generation and the later series as the voice of the ship. Oh, wow. OK. Did, did she have how about, does Nurse Chapel have blonde hair? Or am I thinking of a I think she nurse? does. Who's the because there's a nurse that has a that has a crush on Spock. Is that Nurse Chapel or is that a different nurse? It might be. No, she does. Yeah, Nurse Chapel is blonde. Okay, okay, that's her. Wow, a very different character. I can't wait to go back and watch more episodes now, knowing that. Yeah, it's funny because we sort of see her as the very stoic, emotionless yeah, character yeah. in this one. And then you have Spock yelling. That's right. Spock has emotions. Spock gets angry and expresses himself. I even saw him smile. Yeah, but yeah, they're the only two. Like the, the doctor's different dude. Like there's there's no real... I mean, it's sort of hard. Like I don't even know like necessarily who these characters are in terms of who is working in what department. So I can't even tell, oh, well, that guy obviously became Scotty and that person obviously became that because it's just, they just sort of are all random crewmen. Yeah. So it's really just Captain Pike, the doctor, who I didn't manage to catch the doctor's name. And they're obviously trying to establish that buddy relationship between the captain and the doctor that we eventually get with Kirk and McCoy. Spock isn't number one, obviously. So we've got a female number one. Yeah, he's just called number one. She doesn't have a name. Oh, one thing that struck me is, like, the uniform tops are all just sort of, they're just sweaters. Yeah. They're just all, like, they really are, they're very comfortable looking, but they're all just big, big cable knit sweaters. Yeah, yeah, we're just, um, obviously, it's sewn on uh, Federation badges or Starfleet badges. So it looks like something my mom could have knitted. <laughs> okay, and at one point, I want to see if you saw this, because I... I thought I was going crazy. At one point, it's right at the beginning of the episode when Pike is walking back to his quarters. He walks by this couple. Yes. And this woman is in a skirt and the dude is just in a striped T-shirt and shorts. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like they've been, you know, they're at the beach or they're hanging out at the mall or whatever cool teens did in the 60s. There's nothing space or Starfleet. Or yeah, there's definitely nothing military about their their attire. They're they're just cruising around, having a great time in the sixties. <laughs> it's it's very strange. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they broke out in song and dance. <laughs> Classic sixties surf movie style. Yeah, that really that like there's a couple things like it's a couple things right in a row, because we get that and then we get the doctor 
who who very much you see as the proto like a little bit like homespun country wisdom hands pike a martini i love it and he's like he's just wearing a bathrobe <laughs> that's right when your doctor rocks up in a bathrobe and prescribes you a drink he's my kind of doctor and I love his line about sometimes a man will tell a bartender things he'll never tell his doctor. Yeah, I like that. It's it's you can see you could definitely just have this translated directly to McCoy. Like this would this scene would totally work with him. Absolutely. So we get the doctor being Captain Pike's counselor, I guess. So oh, and bartender listening to his problems. We find out that something really bad happened on Rigel 7. Sounds like they lost a lot of crew. There's a lot of sick and injured. And, and the captain's, you know, he's fed up. He needs he needs a break. He's questioning his whole life and career. He wants to quit. And spend time with his horses. Yeah, that's right. So it's a little bit of a prelude to some of the sequences we're going to get later on in the episode. And the doctor delivers a great speech about, you know, get busy living or get busy dying, basically. Tells him he's not the kind of person that can just quit and go and do a desk job. Anything else about Doctor? No, I liked him. But I think I just liked yeah, him because, I, I, I mean, it's all my leftover affection for Dr. McCoy. Yeah, absolutely. Back on the bridge, so I, I, like they spent money on this pilot, definitely on... They spent money on the sets, uh, and it looks like almost the bridge that we see in the final series. Um, it's all very blue and very sterile, I guess, very spaceship-looking. Uh, we haven't got the nice red formica around the bridge that we, we get in the final version. Yeah, it, it looks it looks very familiar, but you can definitely yeah. tell that there's still some changes to come. Um, at this point... Um, there's a, there's a, a yeoman who comes up to him, who's apparently like the replacement because the yeoman, I guess, is one of the people who died on Rigel 7 and like hands him a report on just like a clipboard, which I liked, but he, <laughs> he snaps at her and he, he does apologize, but he makes this comment about not being used to a woman on the bridge. And I mean, the, the obvious the, like, joke going there is like, number one, shoots him this look and he's like well he basically is like well you don't count but what i thought was interesting is the 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 original series that we get eventually is very conscious about not commenting on the diversity like they they really yeah. they it's very important to that show that that diversity is just matter of fact that nobody in that time period would ever even think to comment on it. Well, I think Kirk does make a similar comment. We'll have to see if that comes up. So the, the thing I noticed about the first few episodes of season one is even though women are in, you know, important roles and positions of power, they tend to be played in that old Hollywood style of, you know, vulnerability where, uh, if there's a like a jump scare, like an alien or a monster jumps out, then suddenly Uhura will you know jump into Kirk's arms and cling to him, cling to the man for protection. Whereas gradually, as we go through the, the first season, the women I think tend to be portrayed in a, a, a lot in a better light and a lot as stronger characters, stronger people. 
Didn't really see that in this pilot, though. No, number one is a is a good, tough, strong character. Yeah, I mean, as much as I as much as I love Spock and the the Kirk Spock relationship, it would have been really interesting to see what Roddenberry's original plan was with number one. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. So anyway, they get this distress call from a ship that crashed like i think 18 years ago they say my god that alarm sound is the most annoying sound effect i've ever heard in my life i'm so glad they didn't go <laughs> sound like somebody strang- strangling a violin oh it's terrible oh, my god. i mean it would definitely it would definitely you wouldn't miss it if they kept that as the alert sound effect in the show we would not be doing this podcast because i would not have been able to commit <laughs> to watching star trek so then we get our first, what will become the classic away team. Yeah. Which again, seems to be, we've got, okay, we've got the Doctor, we've got Spock. Is number one in the first landing party? Yeah, I'm trying to remember because the first, yeah, I think she is in the first landing party. Maybe. Or does she stay? No, she stays because he has some comment about that, about leaving her in command. So the transporter visual effects are great. Um, they haven't quite figured out the sound design for transporting yet, but they've they've figured out the visuals already. They arrive on the planet, cue spooky music, and we get what seems like ages of them strolling around, looking at weird things. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of looking at rocks and pointing out plants and yeah, looking at weird plants that are clearly made out of cellophane. Need somebody to recreate some of that, some of those original props as merch. I'd love a blue plant in my house. <laughs> it's pretty. It's actually really cool looking. I kind of, I kind of dug the, the scenery. I mean, apart from the fact that most of it is just red rock. I love the sets in Star Trek, and there's, there's a few great sets with some of the imagined scenes coming up. Yeah, yeah. So they find this, this. I mean, the people who are sending the stress call is this crew of this, this, the survivors of this crash ship who are, you know, mostly old men. And then there is Vina, who they they say was was born, like, like either like right before or right after the crash. Yeah, suddenly the music goes a bit weird and then they look up and there's a hot blonde actress. And she immediately is all over Pike. Yeah, so it's pretty clear that this is Pike's love interest for the episode. And this is, I mean, this is something... They definitely kept in Star Trek. Yes, like it's it's just so classic. You could it's it's every Kirk storyline basically. So while Pike's talking to the survivors of the crash, all of a sudden the picture zooms out, and we find they're being watched by weird aliens with giant bald craniums. Well, these guys are called the Telosians, I think. So we, we find out gradually that these Telosians have telepathic powers and they talk by projecting their voice mentally. And while they're talking, you see veins throbbing in their head. Uh, and it reminds me a lot of a, there's an episode of The Twilight Zone. Yes. Yeah. Very, very similar. Again, telepathic alien or an alien that doesn't actually open his mouth but projects his voice and has th- throbbing cranium veins yeah that was sort of how we used to when we wanted to show that the aliens were super smart 
We gave them really big heads and they were bald. Giant heads, I love it. And they don't talk because they're too good for that. Yeah. Too intelligent. Do you notice the, the back of their heads look like giant butts? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, man, you're blinding me. Please put a hat on or something. Oh, they totally do. So, yeah, very classic B-grade sci-fi type aliens. The landing party don't know about this yet, so it cuts back to Vina luring Captain Pike into a cave. And then the captain is kidnapped and placed in a glass cage uh, in like a zoo or a museum type place. And we see some other weird and wonderful aliens uh, trapped in adjacent cages. Hence the title of the show, The Cage. Yeah, there's a big red gorilla. <laughs> the man in the gorilla suit. How good is that? And they're then, the, like, yeah, and right after there's some sort of, like, bird monster alien. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So good. There's um, the next two Halloweens sorted. So those costumes. We find out about the Telosians and they've captured Pike and Vina as pets, basically, and they're running experiments on them, and they, they get put through a series of pretend telepathic scenarios, which is reminiscent of the, uh, I guess, the holodeck in Next Generation. Yeah, there's this, like, castle princess thing. That's Rigel 7, so we get taken back to, I love the set for that, giant castle with a... I think a purpley looking alien moon. Very exciting. And yeah, so we find out a bit of what went down on Rigel 7 and Pike has to fight this giant barbarian warrior guy, uh, which reminded me of a little bit of old Jason and the Argonauts movies. I mean, that fight scene just seems to go on and on. I know. And, and obviously zero fight choreography budget. It's all just grappling, basically. Yep. And growling. I love barbarians that don't say anything, just grit their teeth. Would you like to holiday on Rigel 7? I mean, it looked pretty, but since we don't really ever know exactly what happened there, I maybe would avoid it. It looks like it needs gentrifying, like a few hipsters need to move in and set up expensive coffee shops. And then in maybe five to ten years, it would be a good holiday destination. You see Pike sort of like realize what's going on and like he's still confused but because they picked Rigel 7 where this you know horrible stuff went down you know and then she's sort of slotted into this place that she doesn't belong in and so he is rejecting it all yeah yep yeah so obviously all the the scenarios we get are from Pike's memory yeah so while that's going on we also have like the rest of the the landing party who are trying to get down underground where this complex is. But, of course, the Telosian stuff is all way more advanced than their phasers or anything. Yeah, and so they set up a giant laser cannon. I think Is that where I see Spock smile? Or definitely gets very excited about this giant laser cannon. They try and fire at the side of the cliff to break in. Uh, but, of course, that fails. And is this point, like Pike... Pike realizes at some point that while normally they can, the Telosians can read his mind when he's feeling primitive human emotions, um, and it mostly it focuses on like rage, then they then they can't read his mind. 
And I thought that was that was really interesting. Like that's much more depth than most of the the alien power stuff that we would get on Star Trek. Yeah, I found it fascinating. So the Talosians then realize that Pike's starting to beat them or he's figured out their game. So they try and punish him. So they send uh, Pike to a, a hell-type scenario where he's, he's burning, he's on fire, and then they bring him back to the cage uh, and let him know that was something they found from a, a fable from his childhood. And then that leads us to the reward scenario where all of a sudden uh, he's back where he wanted to be on Earth with his horse having a picnic with Vina. Yeah, who is his wife. Yeah. Uh, and, and apparently this is Mojave. So used to be the Mojave Desert and now it's this beautiful lush green set with a thriving future city in the background. Yeah, this nice paint job they have in the background like this big arch and these bridges and stuff. Beautiful. I could live there. I thought that was a, that was a cool little touch. It's a there's some really interesting you know just small things that they do like that that I really liked in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool. So I guess that's the perceived ideal scenario for a middle-aged 1960s man is having a picnic and a wife and a horse. Yeah, but he he rejects this too. So they're sent to, I guess, kind of like a Pike being the emperor scenario where Vina is an exotic dancer. All of a sudden, Vina's green with long black hair. Yes, and this is the the introduction to the series of the classic Orion slave girl. Aha, okay. And the makeup job is not very good because you could just you can see the like the like the sponge marks on this green makeup. <laughs> I need to work on their tel- telepathic makeup. Vina's doing, I guess, kind of a belly dance, and we get what I'd describe as uh, generic old Hollywood exotic culture music. Yeah, and this is another, this is a scene that is like, this goes on for an uncomfortably long time, I would say. Yes, I love it. So good. So, And that's a classic trope of Captain Kirk and green women, I think, or at least that's how Eddie Murphy referred to him in yeah. uh, Delirious. But yeah, and you get you know the, there's these other, the people that he's with who are like, oh, just you know like relax and enjoy it and think of all the fun you could have if you just give in. And that seems to be yeah a core theme in Star Trek that mental toughness, uh, that sort of humanist philosophy of yeah I could give up and have this perfect utopian existence with everything I desire, but it's not real and I'd be abandoning my crew and I'd be abandoning the Federation and the objectives of exploration. Oh my God. Yeah. This, this just, this just struck me. I I had originally made a note of this. Um, I don't remember if we hear the word Federation in this episode or not, but I do know that when Pike is originally like confronted by the Telosians, he introduced himself as Pike from the space vehicle enterprise. (laughs) I love it. Wow, that's how I'm going to introduce myself. Space vehicle. Can you can you imagine if they kept using space vehicle? Space vehicle. I love it. I'm going to be Mick from the space Toyota. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, like I had to. I had to interject that. I know it was back at the beginning of the episode, but it made me laugh really hard. 
Very good. Gosh, I'm glad you paid attention to that. That's something I'm gonna I'm gonna use in conversation for years to come. <laughs> okay, so let me see. Then we get so all of those scenarios fail. Captain Pike is too strong. Is it at this point where there's another landing party that's going to beam down, but only number one and the yeoman appear? That's right, yeah. So the, the landing party attempt to beam directly into the cage and they're all armed with phasers ready to go. But the Talosians intervene and only the two women make it down and the men just appear back in the transporter bay. Yeah, and the Talosians are basically just like, well, I guess you just don't like Vina enough. So you could choose to be like a prisoner and breed with one of these women instead. <laughs> yeah, so then it basically becomes a dating show. Yeah, it really does because they, they give they give rundowns of both number one and the yeoman. Like this one is, you know, like more intelligent. You'd have really smart kids, but she doesn't like she's very stoic and doesn't have much emotions. And then like there's some line about like they're like, oh, but this one has had fantasies about you. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> it's so weird. The Yeah, so the yeoman, they say, and this one has unusually strong female drives yes. or something like that. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so, yeah, I wonder how that would go on, on, on a Tinder, Tinder bio. <laughs> like, I have unusually strong drives. Like, this, this, this yeoman would have to like quit her job right like she'd have to get moved to another ship yeah it's dodgy very dodgy like if somebody tells your if somebody like tells your boss this one has like an unusually strong sex drive and has had like fantasies about you oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah hr would have a few problems with the Talosians. Okay, so they want none of this. Uh, they try their phases. Phases don't work. They've got no charge. Yeah, and so we're cutting back to the Enterprise where, where Spock is now like in command with both Pike and number one gone. And so they're trying to use like weapons stuff, but then we find out the Teclosians can also control the Enterprise. Yeah, so, and, and Spock, we see, I guess, some of... Spock's cold logic come into play where he's had enough and he's ready to hightail it out of there and take uh, who's left on the Enterprise back to safety. Uh, but they find they can't because the Talosians take over all the controls and turn off the lights, etc. Yeah, and we and, and you get a lot of the, the classic Star Wars, everybody Star Trek. throws themselves around the room. <laughs> God damn yeah, it. No. <laughs> You've done very well. Look, okay, for the listener, I do a Star Wars podcast, and that's going to happen a lot, a so awesome get ready. Star Wars podcast, so check out Cantobite Dispatch. Oh, thank you. But yeah, it's it's going to be... I'm usually so good at that, but doing, doing two at the same time is going to be rough. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, the classic Star Trek, everybody throws themselves around. I love it. Pretending that it's getting shaken. No seatbelts. Despite the amount of times everyone's just smashed their heads on the dash, on their console. Health and safety on the Enterprise is not, it's not very strong. No, they're all, they're brave, they're tough. They're all about exploration and, and green women. And then we have Pike who's, who's decided like he's just going to, if he can focus 
on his anger, then he can use that so they can't read his mind. And he discover he realizes that some of the stuff that's going on is is all is still part of this illusion, like the phaser's not working and stuff like that. And he he attacks this Tlosian and it like he's at doubt he has it down on the ground. I was like choking it. It's pretty violent. And it and it turns into the red gorilla creature who we saw earlier, but he's like, I know this is just part of the illusion. And then finally we get the threats where uh, he says, if you uh, if you kill me, then we'll destroy the Enterprise. Yes. Okay, so he lets him go, but they've he's, Kirk's figured out that their phases were working like, all along. Oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I, I like the number of times I wrote kirk in my notes for this episode so pike figures out that the phases were working all along and when they tried to fire before they'd really shot a hole in the glass but uh the telosians telepathy had covered it up uh so he convinces the telosians to let them see the hole and get out and then the telosians suddenly have a change of heart and uh, seem to realize that humans don't like being enslaved and that they wouldn't be suitable um prisoners so they let them go yeah and then you then we get this really bizarre twist on the ending yeah yep so the and, and we find out the the yeah the whole reason the telosians uh were taking different species uh captive is they they they'd evolved so far that they could do all these tremendous things with telepathy but uh they'd lost the ability to do physical things and they needed basically a race of slaves to repair their equipment and repair their machines and then with with vena we realize because because pike wants her to leave with them you know but we learned that not only was she the only survivor of this crash landing, but she wasn't like a child when it happened. So she's much older than we think. And she was also really badly injured. So the closing saved her, but she's really, she's like really disfigured. And it's that her look of this beautiful young woman is also like part of the Talosian illusion. Yeah. And there's something about how, yeah, she's badly imaged, badly injured in the crash and the Talosians tried to put it back together, but they'd never seen a human before. So they put it back together all wrong. <laughs> so she's all bent up like the hunchback of Notre Dame. And yeah, she has this huge like, scar across her face. So if she if she did leave on the Enterprise, life would really suck for her being assembled all wrong. Yeah, and so she decides to stay. And the Tlosians, because I guess they turn out to not be such bad guys after all, is not only do they keep her, her illusion of being, you know, totally fine and healthy and young and beautiful, but they give her an illusion of Pike to go off with. Yeah. How would you feel about that if aliens cloned an illusion of you and gave your illusion to someone else to live happily ever after? 
I mean, intellectually, I go, well, it doesn't, I mean, I don't care. It's not me. It doesn't matter. But I, I feel like in reality, I'd be a little bit weirded out by it. Yeah. Again, another reason to report the Telosians to HR. And what, what I like about this is you go, and it, so it's this sort of like happy ending and, and the Telosian like sends Pike off. He has this, you know, she has an illusion. You have reality. May, your fi- may you find your way as pleasant. And Pike goes off. But I'm like, okay, so what are the Telosians doing from here? So the Telosians, they obviously need some way to repair their equipment and do all the things that they can't do because they don't have physical and practical skills anymore. Uh, and Pike offers co- cooperation and says, you know, can, can we help you out? Basically, like, can the, the Federation work with you and help you get back on your feet? Uh, but the Telosians, they've, they've learned a bit about humans from reading the memory banks, etc. cetera. Uh, and they say humans would eventually learn the Telosians' power of illusion and become a doomed race also so the Telosians, i think at this point they're committed to living out their lives as long as they can and uh that's it vina has this thing earlier it's actually i mean it's it's pretty like hardcore for star trek was she's talking about how you know oh if you had the ability to live in your dreams forever what would you do and like sort of like you'd sort of get like this idea of getting getting lost in them and and giving up on everything else. I'm like, that's pretty that's pretty dark. It's fascinating, it's pretty intense. And it'd be interesting, yeah. A lot of people given that scenario of yeah, <laughs> I imagine it'd be pretty hard to turn down. And and that seems to be, yeah, a recurring theme in Star Trek is that sort of dealing with temptation like that, but not in it not in a like a religious sense but uh i guess kind of in like gene roddenberry's humanist sense that yes you could give up and live in this utopian magical world where you're given all of your heart's desires and anything you want and there's no more pain uh but then you're turning your back on you know your people your crew your duty and and just the risk of of living a real life and and having having real adventures yeah, and you mentioned religion, and there's some interesting stuff because, like, throughout this episode, Pike is 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 talking about, and and Vina too is talking about like Adam and Eve. Oh, they want us to be Adam and Eve. And then at the at the end of the episode, like when Pike's back on the bridge and stuff, like some of the crew know what he's talking about, and some of them have no idea what Adam and Eve refers to. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Because because like Star Trek is by and large very secular yeah i mean most of the religion that we get is from like super religious aliens like usually not in the best of light um i mean i guess i guess maybe like deep space nine goes into the bajorans a lot but for the most part religion just isn't part of at all and I guess at that time in the 60s, the United States is very conservative, um, very religious. Um, they're clever in how they deal with religion by using alien races and using fake religions. And that's a way they can explore the subject without offending anybody. Yeah. And without scaring the TV executives. Yeah, I imagine, I imagine like one of the things they didn't like was this, this Adam and Eve stuff. Because you can, you can, I think you could have just done a show not mentioning religion at all, but 
to have that in tag where half your crew doesn't know the Adam and Eve story, I think that would have gotten them a lot of complaint letters. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and then we sort of end on like the classic like Star Trek wrap up. Like everybody's on the bridge, ready to go off to the next adventure. That's right. And Captain Pike sits back in his chair, completely unfazed, like nothing's ever happened. But it sounds like he may have had a dose of whatever he needed to to get over his career crisis. And uh, he's definitely the captain again by the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not going <laughs> to last very long. No, that's it. So there we go. That's uh, That's the pilot, the cage. So we know NBC rejected the pilot, uh, but they didn't reject the series and they went on to make, I can't remember what the pilot was called, but we'll get to it in episode um, three. Where No Man Has Gone Before. Correct. And we'll have to, we'll have to judge it by NBC execs supposed criteria and see if there's heaps more action and a bit less, uh, a bit less of a cerebral episode. Yeah, and reading reading now, apparently the executive didn't have a problem with Hunter. Hunter, when he shot the pilot, his he had a six months option, and so if the series had been picked up, he would have continued as Pike. But he wasn't required to do the second pilot, and he turned it down. Aha! Uh-huh. So that was it was actually offered to him. So he, he obviously so he had no interest in it after that. Um, he he wanted to concentrate on movies. Oh, I see. He was he I was see. mostly a movie actor. Um, he he actually passed away after a an explosion or something that went wrong. Like there oh, was wow. a, a in a movie he was shooting. Like there was a there was a scene with a with a car being blown up, and uh, he I think got like hit in the head with some of the oh yikes the That's shrapnel terrible. from this thing going up. Oh, H&S, not so great in Hollywood back in the day. So I guess prior to that happening in the original season, either he didn't want to come back or they they didn't get him back for a guest appearance, but we see the cage being repackaged into a two-part episode and, and they're quite clever, I think, in how they reuse it and get their money's worth out of the original pilot. Yeah. I mean, I think that was sort of. I mean, you, you had you had to do something with it. You had spent all this money on it. Yeah. So that's the cage. Yeah, like we said, we're going to go through, just you know, episode by episode. Um, as as far as I know, in most countries, Netflix seems to have all the original series. I should have said that at the start. Watch along with us. Uh, I'm very excited. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And uh, thank yeah. you very much, Emily. You're one of my favorite people on the internet. So to get to talk to you for an hour is awesome, let alone being able to talk about something awesome like Star Trek. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for for having the idea of the show and asking me to co-host it because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So basically, if you'd like to send us an email, uh, our email address is he's dead Jim pod at gmail.com. That's he's dead Jim pod at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Uh, let us know any ideas or any interesting Star Trek history or any of your personal reflections that you'd like us to discuss and have a think about. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at he's dead Jim pod. So I uh, would love it if you'd um, shoot us out a message and get involved. And uh, please uh, jump on iTunes and give us a five-star review. 
Should we have a sign off? I mean, I don't know what it is. It would be something cliched like "Live long and prosper." Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want. I feel like I mean, engage or any of that would be terrible. Just too much. <laughs> I mean, Brittany and I just say bye. 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 Yeah, but that's that's, that's trademark of Cannabite Dispatch. Bye. How did Lemon sign off? Craig Ferguson's on next. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye.